Managing your 401k is hard. Bloom isn't. See what you could be doing to make your 401k better by getting a free analysis at bloom401k.com slash fool. That's the word bloom with three O's, 401k.com slash fool. It's Monday, April 16th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, Jason Moser, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Marathon Day! Yes, sir. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah, Boston, Boston Marathon. Marathon. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought you meant like marathon episode of Market Foolery. <laughs> no. I was only prepared hey, for prepared. so many minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Settle in, everybody. We're going to be going for three hours today. <laughs> uh, no, in Boston, it's just known as Marathon Day. And isn't yeah. it great that we're here in a nice, warm, dry studio? And not out there. Yeah, I mean, it's there are some days where it's beautiful for the Boston Marathon. Today ain't one of those. Oh, doesn't days. appear to be the case. No, not the case. Uh, Ernie season is starting to kick into gear, and I thought what we could do is put some stocks on our radar, if you will, uh, in terms of the upcoming earnings season. And I want to start with this: Who needs a hit? <laughs> Every company wants to put up a good quarter, but some companies need not just a good quarter just for the sake of, of having a good quarter. Mm-hmm. There are companies out there that need to change the narrative of their business. And Taylor, I'll just start with you. When you look across the universe yep. of public companies, who needs a hit? Well, it's a fairly large company, Kinder Morgan. Um, it, the stock is just continues to, to languish, even though you've seen oil prices rise, production continue to rise in the United States, along with natural gas, which is a big part of their business as well. Um, but the stock just isn't uh, isn't reacting uh, the way that some of us here at Molly Fool would be expecting. And uh, just last week, they announced that they were basically. Uh, Curtailing all plans to continue forward with the the Trans Mountain expansion up in Canada, uh, it's a seven and a half billion dollar project, one that they've been working on for five years, but uh, British Columbia just isn't isn't allowing it to to reach the western shores of Canada. Alberta full, fully on board, Justin Trudeau fully on board, but they need the provincial approval of British Columbia, and it's just not working. So. Um, I think there's a final deadline of May 31st to get this all sorted out. But as of right now, Kinder Morgan is—they're just t- hands off. They're done, um, and so I think that's kind of been overhanging the shares. So we'll look to see um, what management has to say on the call. And uh, even without this project, um, my colleague Jim Gillies, who's uh, very well versed in this company, believes uh, that there's, they're going to have tens of billions of dollars in cash flow over the next decade, even without this project uh, to buy back shares, reduce leverage. So he's still uh, very much bullish on this company, just waiting for the market to come around. So I, I want to see what management has to say. When I think back to when the price of oil was dropping, not just below $100, but it just kept on falling. And one of the things we had talked about was. How important having cash on the balance sheet mm-hmm. is for particularly these larger companies, how it can get them through the rough times. What is the cash situation at Kinder Morgan like? Uh, much better than it was. They had to cut their dividend uh, about a year or two ago, and uh, that drove the share price uh, really far down. And uh, since then, it's recovered, curtailed some growth, curtailed spending, and, and uh, the dividend obviously helped with cutting the, the overall outlay for that. So, the much better position now. They're, they're funding a little bit of growth. This was going to be that next big project for them, uh, but still cash flow coming in and deleveraging. So, uh, much more sound position than they were two years ago. Jason, who needs a hit? 
Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and target Snap here. I mean, I, I feel like uh, this is one where you remember last quarter when they announced earnings and the stock popped. I think it was something like 50% that day, <laughs> which was just crazy. When you look at, if you read through the result, okay, and then you just didn't look at the actual market reaction, you'd have read through the results and thought, well, I mean, I guess it wasn't that bad of a quarter. It wasn't great, but perhaps better than expected. The, the, the disparity between the reaction from the market and the actual release was significant. And and if you look to today, they've given back just about all of those gains, which I think makes more more uh, sense. <laughs> if you look at the, the stock itself, there's a decent short interest out there today. I don't think we would expect the same kind of short squeeze this go around that we saw last quarter. Uh, but you know, we think about all of the problems that Facebook has been having. I mean, Facebook has really been front and center in the headlines here. This is a great time for Snap to get in there and really sort of tell us a good story here. Tell us how things are going and tell us where they really are taking this company. Uh, the flip side to that is, if they are not able to lob up strong engagement numbers and, and sort of a good uh, picture there of revenue growth here in the coming quarters and years, I, I don't know that the market really cuts uh, this stock any slack whatsoever. I mean, today, even after giving back all of those gains, it is still just a crazy valuation, somewhere 22, 23 times sales. And it is essentially a one trick pony still. Not that that is, is a bad thing necessarily. You can be a one trick pony and do that really well. And I think they do their messaging platform well. Obviously, a lot of people use it, but, but monetizing that. Uh, is a bit of a different story, and they're having trouble, obviously, doing that. So I just I feel like they really have to, as Ron would like to say, fire on all cylinders here. If they don't, it could be a big problem for investors. It is interesting because one of the things we've talked about with Facebook is the opportunity for advertisers, and and all of the growth in mobile advertising has been captured by Facebook and Google over the last year plus, and. When we think about companies changing the narrative, that's that can have a potential positive ripple effect for Snap sure. if they have a good quarter. If they put a, then it just makes it a much better story for the ad sales team to go out and say, "No, this is this is why you should be advertising on us." Because if it's the opposite. <laughs> it's a much tougher story to tell, right? And I mean, if you think about Snapchat, the, the the platform the company is known for, I mean, that is a platform that is essentially based on privacy, right? I mean, that's that one to one communication where the messages essentially disappear. Um, not exactly conducive to strong advertising performance, and and so I think that it's it's a big pitch for them to really. Tell advertisers why they need to be on that platform, uh, and then let's not forget. Really, they define themselves as a camera company. The problem with that is now you are beholden to actually making cameras, which just seems kind of like a crappy business. I mean, it's it's just a race to the bottom there on the hardware side. So they're trying to sort of get that hybrid software hardware camera company thing going, and it's just not quite working out yet. This will be the first quarter that they release after revamping the app itself, right? Yeah, yeah. So yep. was, and and I think uh, and that wasn't very well lauded by the no. Fan base. I mean yeah. that really that really uh, didn't work out mm -hmm. for them. And and I I mean there are petitions. Out there, still trying to get them to change back to the old, <laughs> the old ways. But um, you know, I'm not I'm not a Snapchat yeah, user, so it's hard same. for me to sit there and testify to the to the merits of the platform there. But but perhaps that's part of the problem is that not a lot of people are actually Snapchat users, and that sort of tells us that that it's a bit of a limited uh, limited opportunity. 
Is there a conference call that you're looking forward to? Conference calls can be illuminating mm-hmm. in terms of the tone. Uh, it's one of those things where it's it's helpful. It's great that there are transcripts of conference calls, but to me, every once in a while, you you read a transcript of a conference call, and then you think, I, I, I want to go back and listen to this, and I want to hear because I see what management is saying, but I want to hear the tone in their voice. And sometimes, it's really bad. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you, you to me, it's it's always illuminating to hear executives who are on the defensive mm-hmm. um, and and sort of unsettled by whatever questions they are being asked. So, Taylor, well, I'm looking over at GE's Flannery. I don't think he's going to be defensive, but they're nine months into a strategic review, and uh, I think that they're going to have some serious questions on the call. Uh, Regarding what they plan to do with some of these business units, because they have announced that they're targeting about a twenty billion dollars worth of asset sales, I expect that to be a floor. Maybe that goes even higher. But there has been some chatter out there that they could do something along the lines of like a hybrid partnership, where instead of selling off some of these underperforming businesses potentially at the trough of a cycle, maybe they'll partner with an existing public company, and so that way GE shareholders will still be exposed because the company will basically gain shares of said public. Company as they acquire part of that business from from GE. So the transportation business is one of those that's that's uh, up there for discussion. And uh, they just finished their financial statement review of and restatement for 2016 and 2017. So likely to get some questions on that, even though it wasn't as dramatic as maybe people were thinking it was going to be. Um, it took longer than most thought. So some questions there, I'm sure. Interested to see how he handles it. It has been a brutal first year for this guy, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm curious to see. In a, in a way, General Electric has never been more interesting to watch, and I think that Flannery and I said this at the time when he became CEO, he deserves a chance to implement his plan. But right now, when you look at the fact that the stock when he became CEO was high twenties, mm-hmm. twenty seven around there, and today it's barely above thirteen dollars a share. It's rough, <laughs> yeah, and and maybe it's one of those things where he's just going in and cleaning house and selling off assets and trying to get his plan in place. And maybe this one or two years from now, we look back and we say, "Oh, that was the time to buy General Electric when it was in the low teens." But he's really got his work cut out for him. It's in our never-lasting portfolio in Motley Fool One as a short idea, so it's yeah, uh, it's a real kind shame. of interesting to see that it does because I mean it doesn't. It's not really like this is his fault. No, right? I mean, <laughs> oh no, he well, just got thrown just... under the bus. And so if you look back. At how horribly I mean, this is Emil's fault, really, uh-huh. isn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, he's the one heading heading the the, the ship, so to speak. And, and I mean, that this has been a horribly yes. run company for for a number of years, and and it was just kind of slipped under the radar, more or less, I guess, because of its status for so long mm-hmm. as such a bellwether of, of uh, the economy and I think of of the markets that it pursued. But man, I tell you. Tough, tough job ahead. What about you, Jason? Anything you want to listen to this month? Yeah, you know, uh, so the recent news out uh, with with Zillow. Um, I don't know if we talked much about this yet, but Zillow is going to get into the business of flipping houses. Which, hey, that can't go wrong, can it? I mean, <laughs> um, I, I so I'm, I'm a little bit conflicted here because I've always been a bit of a critic on Zillow in that I felt like the market opportunity was somewhat limited. I think Zillow runs by far and away the best experience out there in in home shopping. I mean, if you're going to go looking at houses, Zillow. Is the best app out there for it, uh, but I, I feel like you know it's an advertising play. 
to a degree, and essentially they've they've kind of tapped out the market. I think that that is there. Uh, so they are getting into the business of of actually selling homes and. This is an initiative they have uh, where, beginning in the spring, I think it's going to be a uh, a program that's that's expanded to Phoenix and Las Vegas uh, specifically. But it's going to be uh, what Instant Offers, I think, is what it's called. And, and essentially, they are going to take on the business of actually selling homes. They they feel like based on the data that they have and the testing that they've done that there are opportunities out there with with sellers who. Perhaps prioritize the the convenience and and time more so than actually getting, you know, that bottom line number what they're trying to sell the home for. So so it, it, I mean obviously the real estate market is a very big market and and so if this is an opportunity where Zillow can step in um, and and take part in that transaction, I mean it's going to be something where they take on a pretty big balance sheet risk here. I mean they're going to be funding this through collateralized debt, which I mean that's fine for now. But if they run into a big picture macro concern that is well beyond their control, I mean, it could be problematic. I mean, it certainly makes the business a little bit more difficult to understand. And again, I mean, Zillow has been public for quite a while now. It is still not materially profitable. I mean, it's a company that's been making its living off of that adjusted EBITDA number for as long as we've known it. So, a lot of risk here in taking the step. I think, though, it's probably the sensible thing for them to do if they're looking to become a bigger player in the housing market. Well, and presumably, with all of the data that they have access to on their platform, presumably they are being very intentional with the markets that they've chosen. Yeah, they're not doing this in San Francisco; they're doing this in Las <laughs> Vegas, which is a much more attractive market for this type of business. Sure thing. I think they're going to be looking at markets where liquidity is high, markets where homes are selling just even in good times and bad. I mean, the volume is still up. There and and again, to your point, I mean the data. I mean that is one of the things that I think a company like this needs to be able to fall back on. It's one thing to say you have the data; it's another to be able to actually do something with it. And I mean, this is essentially a tech company. I mean, they've been founded on this sort of app that they have out there now. So, so I would assume that they are pretty good at using this data to make good decisions. All right, one more thing to get to, but first, I want to say thanks to Bloom for supporting today's episode of Market Foolery. Do you have a 401k? If you do, maybe you remember how frustrating it was deciding what to invest in without professional help. And now there's a better way to grow your 401k, and it's with Bloom. That's Bloom with three O's. Bloom is a simple, affordable way to grow your 401k. Go online to bloom401k.com/fool and simply connect your existing 401k in a few easy steps, and then sit back and relax while Bloom performs an unbiased analysis of the funds in your account and chooses the best mix to meet your goals while minimizing hidden investment fees. Getting your investments right does not have to be hard, painful, or time-consuming. Bloom only takes five minutes, and then your retirement is set until you cancel. And they link to your existing 401k, so you don't have to move your money. Bloom is so simple. In fact, the hardest thing about Bloom is remembering that there are three O's in the word Bloom. <laughs> That's the hardest part. Go to bloom401k.com and enter the promo code FOOL for your first month free and see the difference that Bloom could make in your retirement. All right. This is one of those things that, and and I we were on Slack before uh, trading ideas for today's show, and and I, I used a word that that uh, probably is not correct. I used the word secretly. 
in reference to, hey, I think we should talk about maybe companies that we secretly wish have a terrible quarter so their stock drops and we can we can buy more shares. But of course, it's it's not actually a secret. But this is this is one of those things that comes up every now and then, where we'll be talking during earnings season about. A different, you know, hey, this company, they kind of crush it. And I've, I've noticed it with you, Jason, and I've noticed it with Matt Argersinger. <laughs> uh, when you're talking about company X having a great quarter, and the look on your face is one of mild disappointment. <laughs> like, I really, in my heart of hearts, I was hoping that they were just going to tank because I was going to back up the truck. Um, what do you got? It in does in terms. Come on, who you do you want? Keep it a secret yeah. and then show right now. Well, I was say here's that. Because here's the thing, we're long-term investors. There are a lot of people out there with a very short-term mindset, mm-hmm. and they will react. They won't look at the underlying business or the track record of management. They will see company X had a bad quarter, and they'll be like. Pfft. Sell this thing, short this thing, get me out of this, yeah. and it's an opportunity. It is, it is. I mean, I think that's the, really the the best part about our our style of investing is being able to just look at the underlying business and say, stock price be damned, it's a good business any which way you cut it. And so this quarter, I mean, I'm looking at PayPal, and I feel like this is a business that um, has done nothing but just get better and better and better since it spun off on its own. Uh, earnings are coming up on April 25th. And I think with PayPal, I mean, everybody knows it's essentially the app that you can use to transfer money and pay for stuff. And that's essentially what it is. And so, for a company like this, what constitutes a terrible quarter? I mean, you know, they're going to be tied to things like active users and payment volume and stuff like that. And the nice part about that is that money is just moving around the world all the time, right? So, they have this huge market opportunity. And I think. Uh, there is a really big market opportunity beyond the United States where uh, businesses around the world perhaps are looking for ways to bring on new payment options. And, and so you don't necessarily have to have all of those merchant services, all of that equipment to, to be able to swipe credit cards or whatnot. I mean, you simply just open up a PayPal account, mm-hmm. everybody's got a phone, and boom, your problems are solved. And, and we definitely saw a lot of that uh, behavior uh, recently when, Chris, did I tell you I was in the Bahamas recently? <laughs> I, I feel like I might have mentioned that. But, um, you mentioned that. It, it, to me, that was exciting. Of course, I couldn't take the investor hat off even when I was there. And, and I just noticed how many people were using that as an option. And, and I mean, they had have 227 million active accounts as as of uh, the most recently reported quarter. Active accounts continue to grow. Engagement, the the number of times people are using it, continues to grow. And I think really uh, beyond the reputation for trust that the PayPal brand has earned, I mean now we're seeing that they're looking to get into other. Potential market opportunities, and we were talking, I think, a few few episodes back about this sort of unbanked opportunity, where they're partnering with smaller banks to offer banking style services for those uh, individuals who perhaps aren't looking for a banking relationship but need that convenience to a degree. Uh, so they want to become a little bit more like a bank without actually having to become a bank, and, and I like that way of thinking. So I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be disappointed at all if for some reason they missed expectations and the stock sold off ten percent because I'd certainly shut my mouth about it so I could. <laughs> Did <laughs> you back channel your way into that hey, Georgia bank yet? Let me tell you, I have not been able to find out yet, but I'm heading down there in yeah, May. I'm going to talk okay. to those guys at right. uh, Maris Bank Corps. 
Taylor, what about you? Yeah, for me, it's uh, Netflix. Not a shareholder, want to be, have wanted to be, and uh, now it's been the second best performing stock in the S&P 500 this year, after a record quarter of uh, subscriber additions in January. So I'm looking to see, hopefully, um, the fact that they released 18 new original series and 11 new series for current. Um, Options out there in the last quarter. Hopefully, that didn't help them as much as the market's expecting, because they're expecting, I think, like 32% growth over last year. It really is incredible what Netflix has turned into, <laughs> yeah. and uh, the story out this morning that that Comcast is is now partnering up with Netflix to sort of include it in this new bundle. Yep. Um, but it's also interesting to me to see how networks, not just broadcast networks, but cable networks as well, are Going after Netflix—that's probably too strong a word—but they they are looking at Netflix, and they are realizing that one of the quote unquote advantages that they have over Netflix is they have less original content, and so because of that, they can give more promotional considerations to the original content that they have. Um, we'll see if that. Ultimately, becomes something that starts the flow of talent away from Netflix and more towards uh, content providers who are not putting out. I don't know what is it. Is it like every? It's more than once a day, isn't it? In terms of Netflix, when you when you look at series and you look at like uh, movies, comedy specials, maybe it's only once a day. But the the number of things that Netflix is putting out is just dizzying at times. It. I mean, it yeah, as as a the number eighteen new original series in the last quarter alone. That's like mind blowing to me. It yeah. really is. And I mean, like we have Netflix and we have Amazon Prime and we have the Hulu cable live TV bundle, which. I mean, all three of those put together. I just there's not enough time in the day at all. But I mean, that's the one thing I've noticed with Netflix is it's becoming almost impossible to find what to watch because there is so much stuff out there and you don't know what's good. So most of the time, anything I watch on Netflix is based on word of mouth. A friend who has told me that something out there is great and you need to catch that. But yeah, I mean, I just wow. Not enough time in the day. Uh, so you know how you're on Netflix and you, you you finish watching something, and then one of the ways they push you new content uh, or other content is to say, "Hey, if you liked that, yeah, you might like this." I heard an interview recently with Judd Apatow because he had done this documentary on Gary Shandling for HBO. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was talking about the stand-up special that. Uh, he had done on Netflix, and he joked. He said, "Yeah, I th- I thought about uh, naming my special. If you liked Mike Birbiglia's stand-up, <laughs> you might like Chad Apatow as well." All right, Jason Moser, Taylor Markman, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Cheers. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 